Blog Talk Radio. Welcome once again to the Lucky Mojo Voodoo Rootwork Hour, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. I'm your announcer, Clifford Lowe of clifflow.com in Scenic, New Jersey. And in just a moment, we'll be joined by our co-hosts, Catherine Ironwood of luckymojo.com in Forestville, California, and Contramat of contramatconsulting.com in Mission Viejo, California. This week, we'll be joined by special guest, Reverend James of philconjure.com in North Carolina, bringing us today's topic of auspicious directions and spell work. They will take your calls and offer advice to address, ameliorate, and remediate your questions and problems about love, money, career, and spiritual protection using traditional African-American folk magic practices of hoodoo, conjure, or root work as divined and prescribed by the greatest spiritual hoodooists of our time. You can learn a lot just by listening, but if you're selected among those who signed up in the Lucky Mojo form formed at luckymojo.com and called into the show, then you'll be on the air and receive a free consultation. We'll be going to the phones in just a moment, but first, let's catch up with our co-hosts, Catherine Ironwood and Contraband. Ms. Cat? Hi, Clifford. Nice to hear your pretty voice. How are things in scenic Teenic? Um, temperately warm and otherwise good. It's been a, 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 a fun week. Well, um, let's see. Um, you are now officially a member of AIR, and I am so glad to have been Welcome. Well, thank you. Get there. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, well, let's hope that Nagashiva puts your um, URL at AIR so that people can find you. Um, you're also going to be uh, joining Hoodoo Psychics shortly. And, of course, you're going to be teaching at the uh, 2022 Virtual Hoodoo Heritage Festival on the topic of lodestones. So, um, Clifford, like a number of announcers of this show, you have um, begun to expand your reach. <laughs> and I'm so glad to see it. Congratulations on all of that. You're you're doing very well. Thank you. It is a great honor. Well, <laughs> you well deserve it. Um, things here in Forestville are somewhere between hectic and chaotic. That little fine edge where you're <laughs> on the wave and you hope it doesn't just suck you under and break up your surfboard, you know? Um, so... Um, we are preparing for the festival, and we are in the last few weeks. Uh, Papa G just sent out a big old email blast to thousands of people, uh, reminding them to get tickets. And I think if you're a Lucky Mojo um, client or Lucky Mojo newsletter subscriber, you're going to get an email blast too. And if you have both of us as your um, uh, sources of occult goodies, you're going to get two email blasts. Sorry about that. We're each sending them out separately, but do get your tickets. We're getting down to the wire now, and we need to sell every ticket we can before the shipping date for the goodie boxes because there's nothing sadder than a person who shows up on the day of the festival and says, well, where's my goodie box? Because they didn't sign up in enough time to get it, and the goodie boxes are going to be shipping at the end of July, so mm, 
and get those tickets now. It's going to be an amazing festival. Um, the goodie boxes are themselves filled with over $100 worth of occult and spiritual supplies, handmade and rare, unusual, and um, hard to find. And then the workshops, 10 workshops, are going to be teaching you what those items are and how to use them. I just finished typesetting Ramona Scott's workshop notes for uh, herbal remedies and medicinal teas. And um, she's got some good stuff in there, and that's going to be a real eye-opening workshop. She's going to teach you how to make two different teas, one for energy and one for relaxation. But she's got a lot more in there than just these two teas. She has a whole theory of uh, herbal remedies and magic, and it's a wonderful workshop. It's really good. So I've been working on hard on other people's projects, which means I'm a little behind on my own, hoping to catch up. And um, I was supposed to have made goofer dust this morning, and I didn't. So after the show is over, my next step will be to completely cover myself in red pepper and sulfur. <laughs> Lots of lots of fun. Then I get to take a shower after that. Ah. So that's the news from um, from here in Forestville. Um, And um, I just want to give a shout out to my dear husband Nagashiva. He's been so good and so friendly while doing so many catch up projects. Mm. And um, I posted a a picture of him. yesterday talking about how after 24 years it was a surprise to find out I had married an ancient Norwegian sailor and that post has gotten a lot of hits on Facebook and Instagram everybody loves him and everyone says how handsome he is to which I say handsome is as handsome does he was actually serving me coffee when I took that picture and he's got this look of intense concentration and um and the coffee was mine. Such a wonderful helper, and I just want to thank him Hi, for baby. that. <laughs> and and one other thing, um, we did a show on kinesiology, and we talked about you know muscle testing, and that led mm-hmm. me to write a much 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 longer article uh, and and illustrate it. And again, Shiva comes into this because a lot of the pictures are of his hands. He let me photograph him. And this article is available to my patrons only for one year. And it's really lengthy. And there's a lot to it. And I hope you can um, see your way to becoming my patron. Um, for $2 a week, you get one brand new web page every week on a topic of spellcasting or divination. And this particular one on kinesiology uh, will be released to the public in one year, but you might as well grab it while it's hot. Go back and listen to the radio show and sign up at, at patreon.com and I will uh, become your provider of much occultism. And I think you might enjoy it. All right, that's it for me. How are things in your world? Oh, I know. I forgot to mention freaking politics, didn't I, Conjuran? 
<laughs> always as I do, always as I do this handoff to you, I go, oh, right, and Shinzo Abe was assassinated, and they're bombing uh, apartment buildings in Ukraine, and 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 the January oh, 6th God. hearings, and and I'm going to let right. Roger Man talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, mine, uh, as people know, my day job, I'm a historian, so a friend of mine joked uh, that she would like to stop living and go back to historical times. Oh, my God. <laughs> it feels like uh, we're every day, is, every day is another historically relevant day. Um, the, there was an ancient curse which has been attributed to the Greeks but also attributed to the Chinese. It's never quite clear who actually said it. Um, but the curse was, may you live in interesting times because boring <laughs> times are fine. It's interesting times that are a bit of a problem. But my God, the world really is a little bit on fire, it seems like, particularly in the past few years. But, um, you know, political assassinations. And there's all sorts of complicated feelings about that. On one hand, you know, murder is murder. On the other hand, Shinzo Abe is a, is a right-wing dude who really, I mean, if we're, if we're going to be frank, completely uh, denied the atrocities of World War II, the... the Human rights mm-hmm. violations, the comfort women, the comfort women, quote unquote, com- mm-hmm. sex trade. It's, uh, it's the enslaved of women and the sex trade of women. Completely denied all that stuff in World War II. He's like the equivalent, he's the Japanese equivalent of a Holocaust denier, if you will. You know, mm-hmm. with all the atrocities by the Japanese. So, things <laughs> like this happening, you don't quite know how to respond. But what we definitely focus in on, on communities, and I think that's the kind of that's the way forward, particularly in the next few years, as things start to unravel and things start to get, you know, funky and the fractures really start to show, you hold on to the people that are around you. And that doesn't just necessarily mean friends and family. That means your community. Who are you grounded with? Who do you, who are you going to bunker with when it is, <laughs> it's the fan? Who's in your prayers when you need to make those prayers. So I think this is the, when these things happen, I always get this very strong urge to remind people, pull people back to their communities, to remember, you know, the communities that need you, the people around you, not just the people who are going to pay you to light candles. That's also your neighbor. That's also the person down the street. It's the person who helps you with your groceries. It's the person, you know, who checks in on you. So find your communities, my friends. Pray for them, work with them, uh, and, and hold tight at the local level, even if at the international and national level, everything seems to be on fire a little bit. Because there's always hope, there's always solidarity in the people amongst you, which you can also find digitally. And one of the beautiful things about this, I mean, Kat, our dear friend, and we only met thanks to the digital. I mean, we've met in person, obviously, but we first connected online, so... Uh, digital right. communities are also very valid during this time. Finding your community, whether that's digital or in person, really, really crucial. I think that's also is why the we, you do these festivals every year, right? The Hoodoo Hair Festival isn't just about uh, teaching, though teaching is an important part of it. You put experts around the world to get together and they teach uh, various aspects of folklore, folk magic, spiritual practice, magic, etc., but it's also about community building, about finding your people, about people voices you've only heard or whose uh, posts you've only read. 
every time we've gone, it's like, oh, my God, I can put a face to a voice now is what I get, right? I can put a face to a voice. Oh, my God, I've seen so many of your posts and I've learned so much from so-and-so. And, oh, my God, this is my favorite reader at AIR. So it's about building community. These festivals really uh, are underrated in that regard. The ability to connect with others, the ability to, to find fellowship, to find like and then, of course, to share, to share knowledge, to learn from one another. Uh, Clifford's going to be there. You're going to be there. Uh, the wonderful Nagashiva, whom we could not do any of this without. Um, I will be there. Uh, we have some amazing, amazing talks. Deacon Millet, of course, is going to be there. Uh, so you don't want to miss out on these workshops. They're going to be amazing. Um, I'm looking forward to a bunch of them. There's a really cool panel uh, on Crossroads which I'm not sure has ever been done at the festival before. Correct me if I'm wrong. We've done, we've done graveyard, we've done job finding, but this is the first crossroads one, if I'm not mistaken, panel that's been done at the festival. I'm so looking forward to that. We have really a, such a cool collection of speakers this time around. Uh, so just another plug for the festival, but from a community perspective, you don't want to miss out on this opportunity to build fellowship and community with people. Yeah, this is going to be a, a really good one. The the panel, I've already received some of the uh, text for it, and it's really, really good. And um, i got to oh, give a special nice. shout-out to Deb Voice, who went above and beyond in writing about the three-way crossroads or trivium, and its place in history. And um, Oh, that's very cool. Very cool. She's a good writer. She's a darn good writer, so real happy with that. Um, yeah, this is this is going to be something. And uh, Papa G is in the chat. Hi, Papa G. He's been putting together our videos and editing them. He has come out of his little quiet shell and has burst <laughs> upon the scene. And... Um, Wow, if he wasn't running like the largest occult emporium in Tennessee, he would be the largest occult videographer in America. He's amazing. Our he is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Totally out of totally out of um like, oh, you need me to do this? And he did it. And he's doing it. So, um and he's um going to be the master of ceremonies and um and he he writes here in the chat. I'm editing video in one ear and listening to radio show in the other. That's a multitasking <laughs> man. All right. Well, this is this is really um, wonderful. Also, our guest today is going to be presenting at the festival, and I have typeset his flyer, which is on moon blocks and paper talismans. And if you don't know about moon blocks, I don't blame you. It's a little uh, Taoist. Chinese thing. It comes from essentially um, the uh, coastal areas of China and spread inland. Paper talismans, oh yes. And this is a whole thing he's going to show you. We always try to do a little bit at the festival that is not hoodoo, although it's the Hoodoo Heritage Festival. Um, and James is presenting some Chinese magic, and this is really, really cool stuff. And it'll present you with a new divination system, but also how to make a paper talisman in the Chinese style. And lucky for you, you don't need to learn Chinese to do it because you can use what is called inspired script, which would in English be called automatic writing. 
and it'll mm, be just as cool. valid and just as cool. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very neat. So, um, but you could learn Chinese if you wanted to, and um, James is willing to teach it to people. So without any more, let's bring on um, James and see what he has to say. What? How has your life been treating you these days? Welcome back. Hi. Uh... I, I, it's been going pretty good. Um, I've, I've been stuffing my, my goodie boxes full of goodies and uh, getting them ready to ship out very soon. And I've uh, mm-hmm. been working with lots of clients, very interesting lately, lots of curse work and love work. So kind of, you know, two sides of the coin there. Wow. That's a that's a, an interesting thing. I have been so... Um, completely hemmed in by my work for the festival that I'm taking no spell casting. I'm doing readings. I'm reading up a storm. Read, 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 read. But I cannot do any spell casting until the festival is over because I can't do too much at once. So <laughs> go go see James for spell casting while you're at it, okay? And that might be other... the reason why I've been getting so many clients lately. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I've been I've been still looking. I'll I'll read your cards. I'll read pendulum. I'll I'll read your photos. But no no spell work till after the festival. So that's it for me. Okay. Um, well, let's talk about our topic for today. Our topic is an odd one because it covers like James's workshop. It covers multicultural aspects, and when he brought it up. We we got you know began kicking it back and forth. The topic is auspicious directions, or what we might call directionality in spellcasting and directionality in divination. So, like I usually do, I'm going to outline the kind of the borders of this topic, and then we're going to turn it over to James. So, um, I hope Nagashiva writes these down because I didn't. Sorry, I should have given him a pre-written thing. Number one is uh, what um, Conjurman before the show was calling cardinality. This is map orientation. This is directionality in which you you have the cardinal directions and the cross quarters. You can imagine it as a map. East, the sunrise is generally in the east. South is noon, the, the, the high point of the sun. The west, the sun sets. North, if you're in the northern hemisphere, no sun at all. And these directions have meanings. East is where things come from, like the sun rising. The south is where things stabilize, like the sun at noon. The west is where things can be removed or decreased, like sunset. And the north is kind of like where you send things you never want to see again. Now, that's cardinality. Then there is another dimension. And some cultures don't say that there are four dimensions. They say there are six. And the other two are up and down. So the up direction is often conceived of as spirit, heaven, or deity, divinity. But it also can be the stars and the influence of the stars and the planets. And then below is often conceived of as the earth in its benevolent form, but it can also be the earth as the graveyard of us all. It can be even a negative after-death experience such as burning lakes of fire and lands of dullness and and, uh, fog. So that is six directions. And now we can go to the direction of going toward some 
landscape feature or away from it. For instance, if you live in a, a valley but there's a big pointed mountain on one side, that mountain becomes a focus. And it doesn't matter if the mountain is exactly due east or north or whatever. The mountain, wherever you are, is going to be something you orient around. Orient means to the east. And that's because east is our usual orienting direction. But you can orient toward the peak of a mountain. Bend in the river. You're going around the river. So these are landscape features. And James is going to uh, pull us into some ideas of landscape features, particularly as seen in Asia, which have, has a whole spell work and divination materia built up around landscape features, some of which are auspicious and some of which are not. And then there is the idea of orienting yourself in your home. And so, again, this is um, relates to things like feng shui or interior decoration in which your home becomes the landscape that you're working in. And the last one I want to mention before I turn this over to James is orienting your work toward the person who is the subject of your work. And one of the classic ones is if you have a double action candle and you want to bring goodness to yourself, you face where your enemy is and and point the black part of the candle toward them and the red, white, or green part toward your own heart, and you stroke the oil on the candle toward yourself and the reversing oil you stroke toward that person. And you can be um, off-cardinal, you can be off-landscape, you you just know that person lives over there. You can use um, Google Earth to help yourself orient toward a person. You can also do love spells toward a person, or you can do a divination facing in a direction that is sacred to the divinity you speak to or doing divination facing in the direction of the kind of question you're asking. So that's my intro. I'm going to turn this over to James. Take it away. Uh, Just to touch a little bit more on what you spoke of before about the the four directions and the six directions, I also have come across another one. You know, you have just the center direction. So there's five, north, south, east, west, and center. Um, you, you see that in like the five spot and, and whatnot. Um, uh, and, and speaking in, in terms of um, the bend, that, that kind of caught me when you spoke of the bend in a river. Um, one of the big things that most people um, have come across in, like, let's say, feng shui, um, looking at the outside of the house, if a um, road is coming across, uh, and is perpendicular to your, your house facing, um, it, it causes some bad chi due to the fact that all of those cars and everything are headed like directly towards your door, and it kind of ends there. So if it, if it, goes, uh, if it has a horizontal road that goes in front of your, your house, and then there's a road that ends right at your door, it creates a lot of negative chi there. Those, those are two things that jumped out at me that you spoke of. Um, mm mm-hmm. I also wanted to bring up, uh, since the, the title of today's uh, radio show is Auspicious Directions, I wanted to touch on the word auspicious and why it's slightly different than lucky. Uh, and I kind of want to go over a couple of definitions here. Merriam-Webster calls auspicious showing or suggesting that future success is likely versus lucky happening by chance. And... I'm going to give you a, a sentence here just to kind of orient everybody using one of those words for today. Uh, it's auspicious to have a good luck mojo. 
Um, and that's not necessarily saying the same thing. So what you're doing whenever you're, you're working with something that's auspicious, you are, you're, you're creating an environment or you're doing some work that is moving you forward, that is progressing, that is showing that there is future progress to happen. Uh, versus lucky is something that just, you know, seems to happen. Um, I kind of like to think of it in the way of perhaps maybe you're going on a trip and you check all of your car systems and everything's fine. You check on your, your map and you see that there's no uh, uh, traffic ahead on your route. But, and, and that would mean that you have a very auspicious start to your journey. But whenever you get on the road, you decide to stop for lunch maybe and you hit, you hit a, a nail or something and you get a flat tire and you run into a little bad luck. Um, and I kind of want to make sure that people understand that whenever you are working with auspicious directions, you're, you're, you're doing an action. It's not just something that you, you know, like a lucky charm that you keep on you that you hope <clears throat> enhances your chances. You're actively doing something or going toward a direction or away from a direction with the intent to make change and uh, mm -hmm. the intent to, to go towards success. Uh, go ahead. I thought I heard somebody what? get ready to speak. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. I was just taking a breath. Okay. Uh, um, another thing I wanted to point out is that there's really two ways that we can kind of interact um, with our directions, and that's through either veneration and prayer, which is typically done towards an auspicious direction to honor an energy or a spirit or a deity or a place. And then we have things that we do that are personal actions, like where we are, we are taking an action to, to, to do something. And that's, at least in um, uh, Asian uh, types of work, is away from the auspicious direction. Not that you're moving away from it, but that you have it at your back to use that energy and to have the support of that spirit or deity, which um, reminds me of like that Celtic prayer, uh, may the road rise to meet you, may the wind always be at your back. So that wind is the auspicious factor there and that it's at your back helping push your, your sails forward to a, to a successful journey to the, so that you don't stagnate on your trip and, and, and you know, start to move backwards. Um, there's also a Chinese saying, it's called a Chung Yu, it's a four-character saying. Uh, it's Yi Fan Feng Shun, which means to have a favorable wind all the way. Um, it's also a, typically for, for sailors. Um, I also think that this may have something to do with the fact that uh, you have the, in some um, spiritualities, you have, you know, the, the chakras and things, and you have what's called the altar major, which is the chakra at the back, it's a, considered a minor chakra at the back of your head, at the base of your skull. It's also called the mouth of God. Um, and this is also another way to where it's, where it's talking about the use of the energy. So you want to have that directed to or oriented toward where your favorable or auspicious direction is. That's, a, um, that's really that's really good. I just thought of another one, too, which is a very personal direction, left and right, which is personal, and that also can be expressed as dominant and non-dominant hand. And so I'm going to call that one number seven. Um, because there are cultural beliefs regarding the left and right hands and what they are to be used for, and also um, 
going back to the lesson we had on kinesiology, some of these gestures um, for muscle testing are best done with your dominant hand or your non-dominant hand. So, uh, Contraband, what do you have to say about this? Yeah, directionality is is important. I think uh, something that that James has brought up here, and I think it's crucial to remind, is that there is a cultural component to this, that meaning from directions in a culturally uh, contingent way. For example, he brought up center, which some cultures might not think about, right? Mm-hmm. Also know that there's there's certain um, ways in which directions are combined. Take for example the Saint Michael prayer, right? Saint Michael before me, Saint Michael behind me, Saint Michael to my right, Saint Michael to my left, Saint Michael above mm-hmm. me, and Saint Michael below me, right? So like that's mm-hmm. a particular way of understanding directions that comes from a particular culture. Uh, so we find mm-hmm. same thing. The ancient Near East, for example, north has negative connotations. But most people today, if you ask them the direction of north, might not necessarily think of north as having negative connotations because north is where the north star is. North is about finding your way. So you have different cultural contexts, and that's important to recognize which context you're speaking from, which culture you're working in, which culture the magical system you're working at also is turned towards the east. There might be some form of logic for why you turn the East. So be mindful of that cultural context. Be mindful of the way in which meaning is derived from these different directions, what the logic is behind it. And then, of course, as you pointed out, there is a personal The way in which you interface with that culture, what does it mean for you, are all ways in which you will derive some form of meaning when it comes to directions. Um, and, And there are you know, the, the categories you've presented are, I think, perfect. They really break down the ways that people uh, organize their, their, their magical working. Uh, I would throw one, so when we talk about, for example, ge- uh, geography, I'll throw one into the ge- geographical one that we might not have discussed in our, in our prep, um, which is directions towards the stars. So we do have some form of operational magic where you direct yourself towards a particular fixed star, for example, the fixed star of Sirius, it's found in as well as directions of the moon are quite, you know, face wherever the moon is. So mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. that time, because the moon has risen, or it might be the west because the moon is setting, but you're moon in either case. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's less the cardinal direction and much more the actual object that you're facing. So there's all these different components when it comes to direction. The way that you interface with the culture and the meaning is derived very crucial for being able to work in this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cultural component also enters into directionality of small things, like does your horseshoe yeah. point up or does your exactly. horseshoe point down? And um, I've written about this extensively, and I don't want to uh, uh, bore people with it, but basically, if you're Irish, your horseshoe points up, and if you're anything else, your horseshoe points down. <laughs> and yeah. the Irish are just very vocal about this, and um, and it's and they've made a big dent in the world where people are going, well, gee, my grandmother hung her horseshoe down, and was she wrong? No, she just wasn't Irish. <laughs> I think that yeah, explains why there's a few restaurants in my area that um, hang horseshoes and all of them point up. Maybe that points to why or where they come from in their uh, ancestry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, if they're German, they'll point down. And if they're Italian, they'll point down. And there are some people yeah. like the Sicilians who will point them all different directions, all over a barn. They'll just nail them up in different directions. Like, wow, it's just a, a mosaic of horseshoes. Because it's Covering the horseshoe, not the directionality. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, covering bases, any direction and every direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other well, thing we can mention about here facing is how... the moon. Go ahead. I'm sorry, say that again. I was just saying, I was just saying that speaking to about facing towards the moon, um, people mostly see, or, or many people see that the moon is is a god, is a goddess, or or a, a deity or a divinity, and that's one <clears throat> one example of how whenever you're facing something. Whenever you're venerating or praying to something, you face it versus um, away from it. Mm-hmm. Directionality yeah. in that in that aspect. I, I'd like to um, bring in a little bit more about directionality as a developed in feng shui. In the picture mm. we use to advertise this radio show, uh, which shows a hand holding a conventional compass against um, an image of a rising sun. It's a very uh, beautiful photograph. Um, That is the Western idea of a compass. But in feng shui, there's another kind of a compass, which is very complex, um, uh, sometimes called low-pan compass. Uh, James, can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that compass is used in feng shui? Well, the way that they uh, that that compass can have many many rings on it, um, and it can have up to I mean fifty or sixty rings depending on the lineage that the person has learned from. There's many different types of feng shui. Uh, you have san he, san yuan, zhong he, and and there's more. Um, but uh, each one of those rings on the compass are are uh, corresponding to um, the uh, um, <clears throat> the heavenly stems and the earthly branches of the year and the date and the time. Uh, it, it goes into the trigrams, the hexagrams, um, of the I Ching. It goes into the 24 mountains, which are the uh, mountains around China. That uh, it, It's not necessarily directed toward our mountains, but it's thought of as energy. Um, but that, that energy can affect things. Um, and it goes into the the, the stars, the spirits, um, the, the many different things. And the way that it's used is uh, typically the first thing that people do is they'll make sure that it's correct. It has two little red dots in the center where the uh, little needle is, and that um, always points north. Uh, and uh, you kind of make sure that you you set the, the needle in the right section and that the, the compass is working correctly. And you make sure that the compass is exactly parallel uh, to the ground. And whatever you're measuring, it is perpendicular to. So you would always stand with your back to, uh, towards something and facing outwards if, for instance, you were checking the facing of your home. So you would stand at the front door or not necessarily always the front door, um, if, if for instance, um, uh, apartment building has balconies that face the main road, that would be the facing of that apartment. It wouldn't necessarily be the, the part where you enter. Um, but you would stand with your back towards the facing of the, the building and uh, perpendicular and uh, parallel compass to the, to the ground and take the direction there. 
and that would find your facing, and then that would give you also your sitting um, direction, which is important into figuring out um, how the energy and things flow in the home, uh, depending on what, what energy is coming in through the facing and what energy is coming in through the, the sitting. Wow. So this is very complex. And and really, to get a, a handle on feng shui, um, people who are unfamiliar with it might just want to sign up for a course or read a book on it. I have learned a lot from a author named Lillian Tu, and um, she's not the only author on feng shui, but she's very articulate and gives the meanings of her version, I mean, her cultural system, the one that she was raised in. It's, you know, there's many types of feng shui, just as there would be many ways of interpreting astrology or many schools of thought concerning numerology. But I like Lillian Tu's writing for those who want to pursue that a little bit further. And um, I hope that Nagashiva can maybe list one or two of her books in the chat. Um, There are uh, people online who will do feng shui for you, and you can get their help in arranging your landscape outside your house or the... uh, furniture and the rooms inside your house to um, create um, the most harmonious directionality. Oh, thank you. Shiva has actually found Lillian 2's official website, which is, not surprising, lillian-2.com. 2 is T-O-O. Thank you, Shiva. Um, She's a really um, generous teacher, too. She gives a lot of uh, material away. Um, there's a there's something about feng shui that is uh, very appealing to people who live in apartments. Although it was originally designed for orienting, you know, emperors' estates, and mm. it's it's sort of an it sort of has become uh, in the hands of urban people um, very much about how to orient your space to take advantage of good flowing energy. We did a show on feng shui a while back, and um, maybe we can find a link to that and put that in the chat, if not now, later when the chat log is put in. Um, Now, to go back to directionality and, and divination, we were talking about directionality and spell work, but we're also talking about divination here. When doing a divination, it is often thought that it would it's advantageous to be facing in a certain direction. But again, this is according to your culture and according to the work that you want to do. So if you are doing a, a divination and you are using a, a natural uh, item, a natural piece of the landscape, like a river, you might want to face that river. You don't want to um, be facing away from it or back your back to it if you're going to be getting omens or signs from the flow of the river water. If you're uh, doing a divination looking at clouds, you would want to be facing into the wind so you see which way the clouds are coming towards you. There are divinations that are very specific. For instance, if you are asking for the help of a certain divinity who has a certain direction, a cardinal or um, other direction, up, down, whatever, you might uh, look in that direction and um, get your divination from that deity. 
So there are people who, for instance, prefer to face in a certain direction when reading tarot cards. They might say, and I am one of them, I prefer to face east when I read tarot. I don't know why. I don't always do it. I don't have to do it. But I have my office set up that when I read for people on the phone, I turn to the east to read tarot. And it's just been that way with me for... hmm, 50-some years. I don't know why. It just turned out that way. That's very, so, that's very <clears throat> interesting that you say that, Miss Cat, because um, in, in like Wiccan culture, um, the West uh, water is associated with intuition, and you're using that ability. So that goes back to where I was talking about um, whenever you're taking personal action to use something, you might use that, that that's behind you. You might be tapping into that Western water energy. Yeah, I tend to think of it as as um, looking for light, and the light comes up from the east. But you see, we all have our different ways of ah. looking at things. Yeah. Mm. So to me, it's like I I uh, tend to open uh, spell ceremonies at the east. Also, people have heard me on this show talk about you know a road opening spell. I always start with the east. East is my starting mm. point. That's just how I was taught. Um, this has to do with being an astrologer. Um, oh, astrology. Now, there's an interesting subject. Conjurman, why do astrology maps uh, reverse the orientation, and why is south at the top of an astrology map and north at the top of a land map? Yeah, so the astrology, and this is like a whole, <laughs> this is a whole conversation to the end because it's quite complicated, but I'll try to, to explain it to the best that I can. So astrological charts that we're looking at or astrological maps that we're looking at are symbolic representations of the sky and its motion. And there are sort of two motions that it's trying to capture, uh, primary and secondary motion. That is the movement of the zodiac as they sort of rise at the east, right? So they rise at the east, they culminate, and then they, they set. At the same time, it is also trying to capture the movements of the planets, which move, uh, which look like from our vantage point, because it's geocentric, that looks like they're rising and sort of setting, but at the same time, they're moving in a particular direction in the zodiac. And so these are sort of different motions. The best way you can understand this is if you go to an uh, astrological calculator, of a birth chart calculated that allows you to animate or that allows you to look at live transit, uh, and you can go and there's a bunch of different websites that do this, or if you have a program like Solar Fire, you click the animate button and you can see the movement and you can track it. Just click by hour, move it by hour, or animate it and let it move, and you can see these different motions. We should note here that what we take for granted is that sort of circular map where everything is on sort of the left side, the left side representing east, the right side representing west, the rising of a particular zodiac sign and the so-called setting of it and whatnot, or the rising of the planet and whatnot. It should be noted that that particular uh, orientation is a modern technology. For plenty of years, the ascendant was actually placed at the top of the chart. And in fact, in many Indic traditions and Indian traditions from Vedic astrology and whatnot, they still do that. And the square chart is up at the top, not on the left-hand side. Well, Check this out. that's it's super, that, super cool. 
Yeah, that is super cool. And this, to me, really has to do with um, the um, hegemony of the northern hemisphere. Oh, yeah, so, totally, yeah. Um, so if you're in the if you're in the northern hemisphere and you're going to look at the sun path, the zodiac path, it'll be to your south. And so therefore right. south is up. But if you were in yep. the southern hemisphere, if astrology had developed in the southern hemisphere to the extent that it did in the northern hemisphere, and if the colonial powers had been located in the southern hemisphere, we'd be looking right. at astrology yeah. charts with yeah. the north at the top. It's yeah. strictly cultural. And as you, as you are completely right, the ascendant could easily be at the top if you orient yeah. to the east. Yeah. Perfect. Yep. Thank you and you, you definitely see it in, in Indian astrology. And then, of course, mm-hmm. the numbering system, it goes, it actually moves one, two, three, four, five in a counterclockwise direction. So there's like multiple mm-hmm. motions that happen here, but it's worth checking out. But what this does really remind us of is that directionality is not static. It is dynamic. And that's an important thing to sort of recognize that, that when we talk about, and I think astrology really does, when you animate the chart, you can definitely see this, and you can certainly see it in directionality of astrology. Where do you face? What time do you face? These things are often taken not as static but dynamic. And this is also true in voodoo, that you will face one direction at one point of the working, and you'll face another direction at another point of the working. You find this in ceremonial magic. You find this in various forms of divination. I do this, for example, when I'm doing work. When I am clearing out and cleansing, I will face the West. And then when I'm drawing, I will face the East, and I'll do it within a span of 30 minutes. (laughs) I literally mm-hmm. turn, and the act of me turning from west to east is a magical symbolic act. And that begins mm-hmm. a new type of working. So when I do yeah. road opening work, I actually start by clearing out and facing the west. I take away, I remove all obstacles, I drive them, and then I turn to the east. And I begin the van van work. I begin the empowering work. I begin the road opening work. And so this this is something to understand when we talk about directionality, um, is that it isn't always static. It's not just about facing a direction. It's also about moving in certain directions and changing directions as a symbolic act. There's a there's another thing we haven't mentioned because I talked about astrology having developed in the northern hemisphere therefore people face south to see the zodiacal belt and the sun and moon yeah. patterns the other one is why do land maps face north and this is because there actually is a magnetic north it's not quite exactly north but it is close enough for 90% of the sailors who made lodestone compasses so when you face north you're actually orienting your magnetized steel compass toward this giant hunk of iron in the earth which by the way has kind of migrated or the earth has flipped a little bit but right now right now north is north it will not always be so and it has not always been so so don't count Mm -hmm. on it but but when we have a compass from the low pan uh, compass of, of feng shui or the sailor's compass north is where that magnetized needle points and that is a strictly earthly physical effect that is not metaphorical. Yeah, 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 yeah. I kind of wanted to touch a little bit more on something that um, Conjurman brought up about, about turning and movement and things like that. Um, mm. Sometimes people might come to me for a reading to find, like, where they might find their next love or where they might find their next boyfriend. And um, 
I might give them an auspicious direction to to look for that person. And in that case, mm-hmm. um, where I'm where I speak about facing or 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 having your back towards something versus uh, veneration or prayer or whatnot, um, it, you, you want to find something. You want to head in that direction. But when you get there, you can also sit strategically at a table or something like that to have your your auspicious direction, depending on how you look at it, either facing or behind you. Uh, It's not always just um, from where you are when you did a reading. It can be when you get there. Um, Everything is still very relative as far as, you know, north, south, east, and west. That doesn't change wherever you are. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. Well, I'm going to say another thing here about lodestones, having brought up magnetic north. Um, Lodestone magic is oriented essentially to the other lodestone. In other words, if you put two lodestones side by side, left and right, they will they will um, cling to one another if they are north and south oriented correctly. But I have found in my work that I prefer to get those lodestones oriented toward magnetic north. And that may mean that I'm putting them at a at, you know in a different place on my altar because the north of two lodestones becomes the focal point from which the south of two lodestones orients towards. So just mm-hmm. you can use a compass to set that up and um and then orient your bigger lodestone or your you lodestone or whatever it is you're working or your client lodestone at the north and the other lodestone, the one that's going toward it, should approach from the south. Just a tip from an old root worker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's also uh, direction. We've mentioned directionality in uh, divination. And uh, something I want to talk briefly because it does a really cool tying in last week's discussion with this week's discussion, that is kinesiology. I mentioned, for example, how uh, there's two forms of, of muscle motion that is, was in the medieval Turkish tradition. Uh, that is intentional, the act of swaying, right, in order and seeing how the body moves in order to interpret, and the unintentional, that is what happens, a body spasm. But the directions can also be interpreted where it happens from. So there's a whole tradition about if someone has lost an object, the diviner then waits to see where the twitch appears on the body. Is it on the right? Is it on the left? Is it in the front? Is it in the back? And that can then direct them, ah, the object is to the north of your house. It is to the east of your house. It's to the west of your house. It's towards this direction. And so this is how directionality and divination tie into each other in very culturally specific ways. So kinesiology, muscle twitches, muscle spasms, muscle divination with directionality. That was my attempt at tying two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So um, these kinds of ways of working are refinements that are like timing refinements. When you start to work um, 
in hoodoo, you'll be told a lot of things, and you may understand them in time, about timing. Work at sunrise, work at sunset, work when the moon is waxing, when the moon is waning, when the moon is in the sign Scorpio, or whatever it may be for whatever you're doing. And there might be work on a Thursday or work, um, you know, for seven days. These timings are very important. Work in springtime. Work when you have your period. All of these timings, when when the clock hands rise, when the clock hands set, these are the time version of what we're talking about now, which is directionality. And you can get fussy. Oh, I must do this on a Thursday when the hands of the clock are rising and I must face east and whatever. I must face where Jupiter is, wherever that is right now. You can build a very, very powerful current of energy by aligning as many of these things as you can. Now, you can't always align all of them, so just get the most you can. And this is similar to what's called making an election in astrology. That is when you pick a time when the planets are in good uh, repute with one another and um, support your activity. But timing, we've talked about a lot. Directionality, we talk about a little less. But actually, directionality is easier to fix on the fly than timing is. And directionality is something you wake up in the morning and go, oh, my God, I'm going to face this way and do that and that and the other. But if you wake up and say, where's my timing? Oh, my God, I've got to wait two weeks till the full moon. That becomes more problematic. So directionality can augment missing bits of timing, if you understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying. I hope you did. I hope that my listeners understood that. If you want to have everything in alignment, both directionality and timing, you may find, hey, there's only one day of the year I can do this spell with the most possible power. But your spell may work um, regardless of how much of this alignment you can achieve. And yet, if you know about it, well, you can add it. It's an option. Mm. And you can find a lot more power when you are in alignment directionally as well as in terms of timing. Layers. Layers. Yes, 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 exactly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I would always um, encourage everybody who is a um, novice root worker or a very experienced root worker or diviner to take a moment after this show and think about how you are using directionality, if you are using it, and um, see if you can add that to your work. Another piece of directionality that I just remember, just because I'm thinking of my dear husband, um, in um, Chinese uh, sex magic, the um, sides of the bedroom are dedicated to either the male or the female. And in the female is on the uh, western side of the bedroom and the male um, is on the eastern side. And so, again, you have this idea. And the bedroom is supposed to face with windows facing south. So that is just a Chinese way of orienting a, a bedroom in which you will perform sex magic. All of these little things mean a lot and can be used to create a really um, intricate layering of your work. The more you can do that, 
the more conscious you are, the more in control of your magical spells you are. And that's kind of what this is about. It's about not, hey, there's one way to do it, but take stock hmm. of what all the cultures offer and uh, and learn therefrom. Yeah. It's a, I always akin it to two things. You're layering the symbology and meaning, right? You're adding context, you're adding meaning, you're adding symbols. So it's the same thing as you can have a picture of a Christmas tree and you can color in a picture of a Christmas tree. The green <laughs> means something, the brown means something. So you're, that layering adds in color. The, uh, the ritual still works. You can still see it, but without the layering, it may be colorless. But it's also about flow. That's the other way to think about it. Directions, timing, they're about the flow of spirit, of power, of prayers, of energy, whatever you want to call it. They move at certain times. They move in certain directions. By tapping to the directions, you step into the flow. You can work with the flow. You can work against the flow. It's like knowing which way the tide is flowing. And you can swim against it. You can swim with it. It can make your job easier. It can make your job harder. So if you know, <laughs> for example, that the east flows a certain direction, by aligning yourself to the east, your prayers then get caught up into the flow and are carried forward. So think of it both as layering and as tapping into the and flow of spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to say something else about Chinese sex magic because there's a there's an interesting layer to this. Um, if the West is female and yin, and the East is um, male and yang, the woman should sleep on the western side of the bed. <laughs> and the man on the eastern side of the bed, and the bed should be oriented with the head to the north because the windows that look out on the beautiful garden are to the south, and at the north is the ancestor altar. And then that relates to the north star, which is an incredibly powerful directional pointer in Chinese folk magic, and the star gods, the three star gods, and the ancestors belong at the north. And so that is so that when the woman, you know, approaches the man, she looks to him to the east and to any statuary representing males, such as dragons or whatever, on the east. And then if the man looks to the woman, he looks to the west and he sees any statuary, uh, and of course his spouse, and he also sees such statuary such as a tiger on the west. There you go. That's the whole of it in <laughs> 20 seconds. Uh-oh. It says bumper music coming up, and no one is speaking. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> well, this was a, a interesting topic for me. I have revealed a few of my secrets. I very rarely teach to anybody but my students. James brought us up to speed on Asian ideas, and Conjurman gave us the historical overview. So go forth and use this. All right. Clifford's going to um, bring us our client for a reading. 
All right. Support for this program is provided by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and located online at luckymojo.com, and by the Association of Independent Readers and Reworkers, AIR, a directory of ethical and authentic conjure practitioners located online at readersandrootworkers.org, and by Hoodoo Psychics, the first psychic line run entirely by Hoodoo practitioners. Receive a reading with a trusted group worker instantly. Call one 888 4 or visit hoodoopsychics.com and by the Crystal Silence League, a free online prayer service at the Association of Independent, Re- Independent Spiritual Churches located online at crystalsilenceleague.org. Now it's time to go to the phones and talk to today's client. Our caller is Darlene calling from area code 914. Darlene, are you there? Yes, I am. Excellent. Uh, you wrote that uh, will you be successful at landing a condo in a housing lottery? Uh, you need help winning the housing lottery and deciding by coastal move would be auspicious. Turning it over to you, Miss Cat. All right. Um, so I have a question because this is a little complex to me. The housing lottery is not related to the bicoastal move, or is it? Or is it the two things that go together? It's two things that go together. All right. So the real question is, is a bicoastal move auspicious? And then subheading, what do we do to help you win the housing lot? Will you be successful, and what do we do to help you win the housing lottery? All right. Yes. So... I'm going to um, ask um, Contraman to come in with the answers to these questions as uh, he chooses to divine them. Thanks, Ms. Gad. Uh, just a couple uh, questions first. Uh, what time are you? I'm a Sagittarian. You're a Sagittarius. Okay. Uh, and when is this... Uh, in terms of timing, when are you planning? Is it something that's coming up really quickly? Is it going to be done this year? Or is it more of a sort of long-term? The lottery is August 26th. If I get the condo, then I can move to uh, buy coastal because, you know, I'll have a decent place to live. Yeah, okay. So this is coming up quite quickly. All right, so yes. all what I've done here is, as Ms. Cat was doing, as I normally do, is I can uh, a geomantic chart, uh, which is a, a tradition of casting dots on a piece of paper. I actually use dice in order to generate the figures. And then this is then put onto uh, a chart that gives us insight into what you can expect. Um, this will reveal what is happening in the past, what is happening in the present, and what you can expect going forward. The first figure that we have here is Fortuna Minor. And people might have heard this figure before because it has come up quite frequently. This is a person who is trying to change their fortune. And while things are good, they don't have a lot of agency uh, in what's happening. And so will require outside aid. It is associated with uh, the sun uh, and the sun growing in strength, but not quite culminating and being strong. So think of the sun at 9 a.m., not quite at noon, so not quite fully empowered. This does speak to the situation of a lottery, does speak to the situation of looking for fortune, looking for success, but also somewhat being at the mercy of the circumstances. There's not a lot that you personally can do to change. It's not about, you know, if I work harder, 
I'll get it. If I run a little bit faster, I'll win it. It's a lottery, right? Lotteries are fundamentally about uh, luck and chance. So this is Fortuna Minor, indicating that there's not a lot of agency here, power here, um, that you might need some type of outside intervention to come in and assist in this matter. Then we look to the future, which is the considered, uh, you know, what can you can sort of expect. It's not the final outcome, which is the judge. That'll be the third figure that I'll talk about. But when we look to the future, uh, we see here uh, the figure of um, uh, populist. And populist is a, is a sort of two lines side by side with each other, and it indicates a crowd. It indicates change, but change that is not necessarily positive. It is a neutral figure. It means that when you're with the good, good will come, and when you're with the bad, the bad will come. So it's not a very strong answer of what this outcome will be or how you will experience it, but it does mean that the future, to some extent, is what you'll make of it, whether it's positive or negative. Both of these taken together do indicate, to some extent, that you need to be aware of um, uh, whatever happens you're going to have to do some magical work. You're going to have to rely on an ally, a spirit worker, a root director, somebody who can bring um, assistance to you because it's not going to be in your hands. You can do some root work. You can do some magical work, but you need to bring in someone who can take action on your behalf and who will work to making the good stand out and to minimize the bad. When populist shows up in this way, I always tell clients that there's a bit of alchemy that's required here, that whatever the outcome is, somebody needs to be able to intervene to allow the good to shine through. Otherwise, it sort of gets muddled up in the, uh, in the noise. The final uh, figure, which is the judge, this is the thing that tells us, will you be able to get the lottery? Will you not be able to get the lottery? And this is conjunctio. Conjunctio is the joining of two things together. It also is a figure that is not entirely a union, This or not entirely auspicious or positive. So this is not a definitive yes. This is an indication that you will only be successful if you're able to unite, combine, and work with someone, something. So there's a third factor here. This might be a person, this might be an ally, this might be a guide, this may be a spiritual worker that's going to work on your behalf, but it's only through the agency of this third person uniting and joining forces with them that you can change the minor fortune in order to be successful in this case of the lottery. So as Stand right now, the lottery does not look 100% good in your favor. This is an indication that you need to find what this third factor is, whether it's an ally, whether it's a root doctor, whether it's some, whatever this third person factor is, that is going to be the key to unlocking the fortune and therefore winning the lottery and being able to be successful in this instance and get becoming bicoastal. So this is not an indication of a strong yes. This is an indication of right now the road is a little bit obstructed, and you need to find this third factor, bring this third factor into it in order to alleviate, ameliorate, and address this, and that's when you'll be able to open things up. The conjunctio also tells us a little 
of timing and tells us when you should start to do some of the magical working in order to ensure that you are successful. This generally is said, uh, can you do it called the third figure or the third week? So the third week of uh, July is when you should start. So next week is going to be when you should start everything if you're going to be successful. So this week, that gives you this week to sort of plan uh, strategize to locate, identify, and then by next week you have to start whatever magical intervention uh, you're going to do, uh, which Miss Cat will give you some recommendations, and also to work with your ally if you are going to be successful. So that's what I see here. Not the best of, of indications, but it's not hopeless. You just need to be able to find this third force or factor and type tap into that, and that'll start to unlock this path forward. I'm going to turn this over to Reverend James. I'm going to give you a second reading, and then Ms. Kat will give you some group work recommendations. Hi, Darlene. <clears throat> I'm going to do some uh, an I Ching reading for you, so if you give me just a second, I'm going to flip these coins real quick. Okay. Okay, and one more. All right, so what I have here is the hexagram 37, which is the family. And it's not a very auspicious or lucky, uh, however you want to however you want to look at it, uh, depending on uh, what 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 way you see that word. Um, it, it's it's more about um, staying with your family and and uh, uh, lo looking on and hanging on to them for support. Um, you have to uh, be strict with what you want and, and, and keep, your, keep your set of rules, whatever that is, for moving or for, for, for changing your, your um, place of residence. You have to have, have an idea of what you want and stick with that to be successful. Um, and that is shown in the changing lines five and six which changes to um, hexagram 36, which is your future. And the hexagram 36 is the darkening of the light. This is another very, uh, not very auspicious um, <clears throat> hexagram. And it's um, saying that you may need to uh, strengthen your mind and, and, and be more... Um, accepting of where you're at or what, what you have now. Um, these uh, two hexagrams also point towards southeast and southwest, the southeast being the family and the southwest being the darkening of the light. I would be curious to know, um, are, are where you at now, is that with your family and is that on the east coast? And is where you're planning to move to to the west coast? Or is it the opposite? You are. You are exactly correct. Okay. So so you're moving from east to west. Yes, and I am with my family in the east. Right. I think that would be your better chance right now, and I'm not seeing that you're, you're going to be making much of a move as, as things stand currently. Um, that goes back to the the first one, your family. Um, your family may be uh, a part of helping you get to another place that you want to be. Um, 
it may not be particularly this lottery that you'll win, um, even though uh, you may do some working to, to, to get that, and if that works, great. Your family will probably be a very important thing that you'll need to hang on to, that connection as you move west. Um, but if, if that lottery falls through, maybe your family will be the, 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 um, the driving force in helping you get to a place where you, you feel comfortable, okay? Okay. Wow. All righty. Well, I'm going to try to do some root work. You know, I just want to take a moment here to say that when we do readings for people, often the reading they get is not a happy, happy, yes, yes, yes. And in this case, it was not. And both readers saw that using different systems of divination. And when a reader comes to us and gets a kind of a no, the answer is no, they're often left with a, well, what did I bother to get a reading for, you know? The answer no can actually be productive to you and can help you prepare for the next cycle of the lottery. Um, we're not seeing you winning this at this time. So I'm going to give you some ideas about building up your power and strength, if not for this cycle, for the next one and don't just say oh the magic didn't work but say I need to actually come more prepared okay so I'm going to start with some ideas and I've spoken of these before and they will be familiar to people who have heard me talk about real estate magic I'd like you to start with some photos a photo of your family, the home where you're living now, if it's the family home, that photos of people in front of the house, whatever you can have that you can use as a visual reminder of where you are. And also, I'd like you to get a map. Now, if you're going to move across the entire United States to the West Coast, you want an entire United States map. And you can print this out on a piece of paper. Or you can print it out in sections and cover a table with it. However you want to, it's your artistry. And on the place where you want to go to, I'd like you to put a picture of yourself and any kind of um, ideal house. And I want you to locate that where your ideal town is or state. And then I want you to draw a line between them using the major highway systems, unless you like going on two-lane roads, in which case you can zigzag all across the country to get there. But let's just say you're going to take a an interstate and some highways. And that line, I, I, I use a red Sharpie, and I just mark it off, and I get from where I am to where I'm going to go. And then I'd like you to put a candle at each end. Now, these should be small candles in candle stands. And they can be a star candle holder with a chime candle, for instance. And I'd like you to dress the candles with road opener oil for the one for where you are and uh, money house blessing and maybe peaceful home for the home where you want to be and you're going to light the one where you want to be I'm just going to pick a town just say it's San Luis Obispo California and you put the candle there and um, any you know about the town, whatever you feel about it, some pictures of it, and you light that candle first, and you say, let the light from San Luis Obispo shine on my journey as I move. And let's say you're in um, New York, is where I think you said you were, so you're in New York, and you light your candle there with the road opener oil, and you move 
that candle, as it's burning, a little bit at a time towards San Luis Obispo, California. And as you move it along the road, you pray at every stage of the way. Now, you can use a larger candle, like a 6-inch candle or a 9-inch candle. That's fine. Depends on how big your map is. It should be in scale. And you can replace the candle. You can just let the candle burn out and stick a new one in every day. But I want you to be doing that for at least a couple of weeks. And because the um, you're moving from east to west, think about what time it is there. When you're getting up in the morning in New York, they're still asleep. So you want to do this around 10, 11, 12 noon because they're going to be waking up at you know 7, 8, 9 in the morning. So don't try to catch them when they're sound asleep. They won't be receptive out there on the West Coast. So light your candle at that time. Burn it for about 15 minutes. You can snuff it out. You can um, then light it again, move it a little bit. And I want you to do this um, over at least seven days. And if you want to do the whole 14 days, you can do it while the moon is on the growth, while the moon is growing. But you don't have to you know, time it by the moon if you don't want to. It's always uh, just one of those added things. Timing is added. In this case, directionality is your major issue. Set it up so that the candle that represents the West Coast is actually at the West. Don't be, you know, going cross your own desires. Don't put flip it, you know. So you should then be standing at the east and facing west and looking at that light and saying that light is drawing me there and your own candle begins to move there when your own candle gets to the west coast you let them burn down together and you say now i will be there and when you get there you can take um the remnants of the wax or whatever and bury them on the west coast and say this is my new home okay so um that's a, a you know pretty typical type spell. If you're looking for a new home and you're a Catholic, I always recommend that you call upon the help of Our Lady of Loreto. She is the Virgin Mary of moving to a new home, finding a new apartment, finding a affordable housing. Our Lady of Loreto, you can look her up online. Loreto is spelled L L O R E T O with one T. But many people spell it wrong with two T's or even two R's. And she is the Virgin Mary shown sitting on the roof of her house holding the baby Jesus, surrounded by angels who have maps and little announcement horns that they're blowing and harps and and everything, and they're carrying her to her new home in Loreto, Italy, of all places. So um, that is um, another way to work. All right, does anybody else have anything um, to add to this? I would just say that uh, pay attention to the free spell. You should be able to incorporate that as well with the fantastic working that Ms. Kat just gave you. It incorporated everything we talked about today. All right. There are um, some herbs that are used for road opener. Um, one of them is um, sometimes known under the name of Abre Camino or uh, Thoroughwort. It, it's, a, it's just a, a, an herb, and you can... You, um, Use that if you want to uh, in making a dressing oil. But the oils that we make would have those in it, and uh, so that's fine. And I 
what I'd like you to do is do this. If it doesn't come through this time for you, do it again when the next lottery happens. You might want to call us back and see if it's a better time because this time it's looking iffy. But there's no reason not to do the spell because that will help you learn spell work. All right, good luck to you. All righty, and next we're going to have our fabulous works. <laughs> she ran out of time. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays, 3 to 4.30. The Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix LeFay, Fridays, 1 to 2. And Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays, 7 to 8. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. Now it's time for our free spell segment from our special guest, Reverend James of philconjure.com in North Carolina. Take it away, Reverend James. All right, so what we're going to be doing today is a um, variation on what is called Bugong in the Taoist tradition. And that is a Taoist ritual dance that is based off of Yu Bu, which means the steps of Yu. Um, and it is basically following a pattern and, and walking along it, pacing it. Uh, Bugong means steps pace the Big Dipper. So we're going to be using the image of the Big Dipper as our um, pacing guideline, our pattern. And um, <clears throat> what you'll need is a square mat or rug and seven flat coasters. Uh, I think this is the easiest way to do it because it's all flat and it's easy to walk over. What you're going to do is you're going to divide your square into nine squares. If you're familiar with um, the law shoe, does, um, design, so you have uh, nine equal shaped squares, and you can do that mentally or with some small thin string because you definitely don't want to trip over it, and you're going to place your coasters in the pattern of the Big Dipper with the tail pointing towards the northeast, and you're going to uh, take your coasters, one through four, and make a square starting at the, the southwest corner of your, your, your rug and you're going to make a square um, with those. <clears throat> and that's going to be the open part of the dipper. The open part is going to face the southeast of your, your rug. And then you will take the five through seven coasters and place them, uh, that, that will be the tail of the big dipper, and that's going to be pointing to, towards the northeast of your rug. And the last coaster, the seventh one, will be placed at the very uh, northeast corner, okay? And uh, there should be an image link posted in the chat, and uh, I think we'll be, we may be able to get it into the slideshow at the end of the show. You can come back and look at that. Um, so what you'll be doing, depending on whether you are the ones that ascribe to um, facing for veneration and prayer, and you consider your spell work veneration and prayer, or if you're the type that would ascribe to your spell work being an action that you're actively taking to, to make a difference, 
um, you, 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 you will face the opposite of your auspicious uh, direction if you think that your spell work is more action-oriented versus just prayer, or you will face towards your auspicious direction if you feel that your spell work is more of a prayer. And what you'll do is you'll take a step onto your first coaster, whichever feet, foot is fine, and you'll bring your feet together. Then you'll use the opposite foot that you used first to lead the step into the next coaster, so onto two. And then you'll bring your feet together. And then you'll repeat this as you step through the pattern of the Big Dipper towards the northeast of your rug until you reach the seventh coaster or the seventh star. Once you reach that area, you're going to step off of your mat, and you can orient this into a direction towards your altar or away from your altar, again, depending on how you ascribe to your prayers. And then once you step off, you're going to make your wish or you're going to make your petition. And that's pretty much it. You just, um, you just have to imagine that um, whether or not uh, you're facing or, or uh, backing to that, that energy is either pushing forward through you and into you and helping you to go forth to achieve your goal, or if you're facing your direction, you can see that as a prayer of hopeful um, prayer for success and, and to reach your goal. James, this, this chart explains everything except for something that I'm confused about, okay? Yes, if ma'am. I wanted to, um, let's say, get money, and I would be have my feet in the direction where you're showing them at point one, and then I'm going to go toward point seven. Is that correct? Correct. So you're going to start at point one, and you're going to step to the, to the left. And yes. Then you're going okay. To now, step what if to, I yep. wanted mm-hmm. to remove a curse? Which way would I go? Well, that would depend on whatever your tradition is. So if you might, you might say that um, if you're a, a, a Wiccan, for instance, you might want to embrace the power of water. So you might want to um, face, the, face the West to get that healing, cleansing water energy. Or but no, if, but, um, but, okay, I just want to make, make this really clear, though. There's, there's no mm-hmm. condition under which you would start at 7 and go back to 1, is there? Correct, no. And is because there the, any the, condition – good, okay. Is there any condition in which you would back through this? In other words, turn your feet the opposite way and back through it. You mean with your back facing it and go backwards? Yes, that what you mean? go backwards. No. No, um, okay, so you're just going – this is it. This is it. This is the one thing. The word that confused me is opposite chosen direction. I don't know what that so means. I, what, what I mean by that is um, opposite your auspicious direction. So if, for instance, you were like me, I, I, I tend to um, face whenever oh. I venerate or pray, and I, I tend to back whenever I'm doing something that I want that energy to, to, to use. I understand. So it's the arrow that points opposite your chosen direction, not the pattern itself. So that you first orient your square opposite your chosen direction. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. So you want ah. the tail of the of the, the, the big dipper pointing either away from or towards your, your chosen direction. Got it. Wow. And this is a Taoist mm. um 
This is a Taoist ritual. This is so cool. Now, what happens when you step off at number seven? Now you are prepared to do whatever it is you're going to do. Is that the idea that you're just simply pacing through this to sort of set yourself on a path of power? Correct. So what you're, what the, the way that they kind of think about it in the Chinese tradition is that um, you're following Tai Yi or the great supreme being, and this is the path that he follows through the sky. So by imitating his steps, you are kind of taking on that power to be able to use force. So when you step off of the seventh one, you, you are in effect Tai Yi, and you are setting forth your intention. Wow. So this is, uh, now I'm looking at this, and this is almost a kind of a dance move, or, mm. you know? Yes. It's uh, cool. Another way that they typically do it is... Whoa! Uh, 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 thank you, Shiva. That was pretty hysterical. <laughs> Go ahead. Another way to think of it is... Yeah, I was just going to say another way that people typically do it is through the low shoe square. So you can pace the low shoe square. So if you know where the one, the two, and the three is, you can pace through the low shoe with your feet as yes. well to, to kind of get the power of the elements, the five elements. I get that. I get that. That's wonderful. All right. Thank you so much, Seamus. That was an amazing little glimpse into Taoist magic. All right. We're going to bring on Clifford. And uh, he's going to give us our announcement, and then we'll all come back and say goodbye. Thank you, Ms. Cat and Conjurman. Thank you, Reverend James of FolkConjure.com and North Carolina for being our guest this week. Uh, we invite you to join us next week when our special guest, the Reverend uh, Dr. John St. Germain of JohnStGermain.com, Knoxville, Tennessee, on the topic of building your luck. Once again, we've come to the end of another Lucky Mojo Hour, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California. You can find Ms. Cat at the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com and conjurementconsulting.com in Mission B.O., California. I'm your announcer, Clifford Lowe, joining you from clifflow.com. The Lucky Mojo Guru Rick Hour can be heard every week live on Blog Talk Radio at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and the shows are available in archive via luckymojo.com slash radioshow.html. For all of us at Lucky Mojo, I'd like to thank you for being here and invite you to tune in again once next week. Once again next week at the same time when you will hear the familiar strains of the Memphis Junk Band playing the Junk Band of Waltz. Thank you, everybody, and goodbye. Thank you, Clifford. Um, and thank you, Reverend James, for bringing us another interesting glimpse into Taoist magic. We're going to have you on again. Mm. You've got a head full of ideas that we need to learn. And thank you, Conjurman, for holding down the fort and giving us the history of everything. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And if you buy your tickets now, you'll find us all at the Hoodoo Heritage Festival. All of us will be there. Plus, readers galore, other presenters, your goodie box waiting for you, filled with $100-plus worth of incredible spiritual supplies, many of them handmade, rare, or almost impossible to find outside of our festival. So we want to see people show up for that festival. We want to know that it's going to be a success. Get your tickets now and don't keep us waiting, because if you wait too long, you won't get your goodie box. So. Oh, That's no. my word <laughs> from, <laughs> from here. And uh, good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night, Gracie.